1: My throne of mercy Oh uh-huh.
2: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Oh, Lord, would you make clear to our hearts today what your mission is? Would you outline it for us so that we can clearly see whether we're on your mission or our own mission? Lord, today would you bring the fear of God into our hearts. Would you birth it in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This passage found in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew, the seventh chapter, we generally take as an isolated passage. And so we speak about not judging. The world's interpretation of this passage is tolerance. Be tolerant of everyone. Let everyone do what they're going to do and leave them alone. It's okay. But then we come to that very difficult passage in verse 6 where he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. In other words, we also are under obligation to decide who the pigs are and who the dogs are. So there is a portion of judgment required. So what is Jesus really saying to us? You can't get a hold of this passage when you take it out of context and you simply pull it out of a sermon. And that's what this was. I mean, what would you think if if someone began to just pull a sentence or two out of a sermon that I give and then build a sermon on that? They're going to miss the point of the whole sermon, aren't they? I mean, you can twist my nose to say anything you want me to say if you just take bits and pieces. But we have to take it as a whole and understand it as a whole. This passage was not an isolated passage. Because it's the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus didn't set chapter 7 in there. He didn't even include the verses. Men did that later to try to give us a a better way to get a hold of it, a reference point. So if we look at chapter 7 and not disconnect it from chapter 6, notice what Jesus is saying in chapter 6, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first seek His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. There is enough to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its own trouble. And then we come to chapter 7. So Jesus tells us this most essential truth that what he wants us to do is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the cash flow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You notice it does not say first seek Jesus. It's seek first Jesus and his righteousness. It's seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So what would block me from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, number one on Jesus' mind that would stop me from seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not my shortage of money. That's not a concern to Jesus. What causes Jesus' great consternation so that now he includes a whole passage To deal with this issue. Is this matter of self-importance? The Greek word for judge. Literally means to separate. To separate or to put asunder. So Jesus is saying, do not put asunder. Do not judge. In other words, don't set yourself up as a magistrate. Who is full of self importance, who thinks they have their deal put together, and now from that posture begin to operate in his kingdom. He's saying, don't do that because as soon as you begin to step into self importance and self righteousness, you can no longer seek the kingdom of God. And you can no longer seek his righteousness because you're already righteous. You don't need the righteousness of Christ because you have your own righteousness. And now you're willing to defend your righteousness by separating yourself from others, setting yourself up as superior to them, and from that superior perch looking down in judgment upon them. Because after all, you've got your kingdom. What interest do you have in the kingdom of God? You don't need God's kingdom, you've got your kingdom. Jesus encounters this again. The story is found in Luke, the fourth chapter. He went up to Nazareth. That's where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. They handed him the the scriptures, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, And he unrolled it, and he began to read. This is Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you look in Isaiah, in chapter 61, you find where he was actually reading. Let's look at it carefully. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me. He anointed him at the baptism. The dove came down and rested on Jesus. He was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to those who cannot help their situation, who cannot help themselves, who cannot rescue themselves. That's who Jesus came to preach to. He did not come to preach to the self-satisfied. He did not come to preach to the religious. He didn't come to preach to those who already knew it all. He came to preach to those who couldn't make it, who had tried and tried and tried to be righteous and weren't able to pull it off. Who had tried desperately to overcome their temper, their despair, their gluttony, their sexual sins, who had tried and tried and they just couldn't pull it off. That's who Jesus is interested in. If you can do it on your own, go ahead and do it on your own. You have your own kingdom. You've made your own rules. You've established your own authority. You're not willing to serve under the authority of Jesus, and He says, Go your way. But He did come to preach or proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And that word for brokenhearted literally means the shattered. The shattered. Those who have had their lives utterly destroyed by the powers of darkness. They can't seem to pull the pieces back together. The depression sweeps over them, the despair and the discouragement sweep over them. They don't seem to be able to pull it together. That's who Jesus came to minister to to proclaim freedom for the captives, captives to sin captives to sin and to release from darkness the prisoners or to release those who are blind. So now we have a description of those that Jesus came to speak to. Do you include yourself as any of these folk? If not, you're in the wrong house today because I have nothing to say to you. If you're not Identified by one of these categories, you're not eligible for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He speaks this word. He rolls up the scroll. Everyone is paying such close attention. This is the young man of favor. This is the local boy made good. They've heard what he did in Capernaum where he healed the sick. Raise the dead. They're watching. I, I would guess the attendance was very large that Sabbath day. Then he sat down. No, he didn't just sit down in a pew. He sat down in the seat of Moses. Every synagogue had a seat of Moses. And this is where you sat down to speak words of import to give an interpretation of the scriptures that have just been read, to be prophetic. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. And he begins his sermon by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. No one in that crowd had any doubt about what he was claiming. Everyone knew that this promise was looking forward to the coming of Messiah. For him to say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, is for him to say to them, I am the Messiah. And immediately everything rose up in their hearts as they said, what? We know who you are. You're Mary and Joseph's son. You grew up amongst us. You think you can put on airs with us? We knew you when you were a kid. You were always a little strange. You never quite fit in. But now you've gone too far. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them in verse 23, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. What? He's just said to them, God sent Elijah to a Gentile woman to provide her with food when Jewish people were going hungry. Now that may not be you, but the rule of the day was that if you were passing down the road and there was a Jewish man walking down that street and a Samaritan was there, and if he bumped that Gentile with his shoulder and knocked him off the road into the mud, he had done something worthy of praise. Gentiles were considered dogs, pigs. Unloved, unwashed, filthy, undeserving of any social attention. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. The prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian... They were so angry. It says in verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. And he walked right through them and went his way. I was asking the Lord, Lord, is what you want me to say today going to make him so angry they're going to take me out, try to throw me off a cliff? Because there really is an issue we have to deal with. And it's that issue of self-righteousness. We have all become very comfortable in our religion. We've all become very comfortable in our lifestyle. We've all become very comfortable with our traditions and our rituals. We think all of us are very responsible. We're going to take care of business. We're going to do what is necessary to take care of our families. We're going to do what's necessary to take care of school. We're responsible people. We wake up in the morning and we try to do what is the best for everyone. Oh, yes, we've got some Some issues we have to deal with, and we've got some feelings we have to deal with. But bottom line, we're all handling it pretty well. You know what it reminds me of? Jan gave me a wonderful dinner. We sat and we ate together and enjoyed our, our meal. And she said to me, Ray, why don't we go over to Wegmans? You know, we, we need some whole grain bread. Maybe we could pick up a few ears of corn. Oh, good, I'm game to go. I like to go to Wegmans. It's a fun place to go. I never thought I'd go to a grocery store for entertainment. So off we go to the grocery store. And, of course, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to head right for that one aisle where they have all those wonderful baked goods, where they have all those pies and they have those cookies. I particularly like the macadamia, oatmeal, macadamia nuts with the chocolate drizzled over them. Oh, I love those. And so we went to Wegmans and and we're walking down the aisle and, and we see this wonderful display of food. I mean, so much baked bread, and they're baking it right there, and the aroma of bread is wonderful. We come to a counter, and there's somebody behind the counter with a big knife, and, and they're cutting off samples. So Jan and I stand there and, thank you, we'd like a sample of that, we'd like a sample of that, and, and we're tasting these wonderful samples. And then we go on down, and suddenly I spy the lady behind the counter, and she is cutting up that lemon, that lemon mousse. She's cutting it and cutting it, and I'm saying, oh, stop cutting it. Just serve it that way. But she keeps cutting it down until finally she's got it in little pieces. I'm standing right there. Thank you. And could I have one for my wife? Thank you. And so I take it to Jan, and we have a little sample of of the lemon. Oh, it was, how do I put it? It makes your tongue sparkle. Do you know what I mean? And it's sweet. So it's it's tangy and tart, and yet it's sweet. Wow. So I walk over to the counter, and I look at it. One about three inches across, they want $5 and some change. And I say to myself, that sample went a long way. (laughs) And I make my way on down. Oh, and one of the women back there cutting up the, the fresh fruit tarts. Blueberries and strawberries and blackberries, and they oh, I wait with my hand out for a little sample of that, but you see, I don't want more than a sample. Do you know why? I already had dinner. I'm not hungry. There's no way I'm going to pull my wallet out and pay five dollars for a little lemon tart. Why would I? I'm not hungry. Oh, I can walk by the corn and the beans. I can walk by the mushrooms. I can walk by all of that stuff. I don't even need a sample. I know what it tastes like. I'm on my way to the dessert counter. Why? Because I'm not hungry. Do you come to this house? ready for a sample of something tart that'll sparkle on your tongue? Or do you come hungry? How can you come hungry when you have so much to eat? I mean, I've got I've got all my books. I've got all the media. I can guarantee you that if I went outside of town and I pitched a tent and I put a sign up, evangelism, nobody in town would come. There was a day when if you did that, everybody in town would show up. Why? Because there was no other entertainment in town. They had no television. They had no radio. They had no entertainment. You were the entertainment for the day. So everybody would come and listen to the new preacher showing up outside of town as he came and proclaimed the word of God. But today the word of God is proclaimed on every corner. It's on the radio constantly. The word of God is handed out as candy treats everywhere. It sparkles on the tongue and leaves us totally empty of the word of God. So we can come, and and what's Pastor Ray going to talk about today? Knowing that I'm going to leave here soon, and I'm going to go back to my full life. My hours of working, and my hours of cranking, and my hours of doing everything that I'm doing, and my schedule, and... This is just one brief trip to Wagmans, except this is the National Prayer Chapel. And as long as that attitude persists, we will be devoid of the Holy Spirit. We have no fear of God. We have no fear of God because we're able to take care of everything. I'm reminded of a people called the Sumerians, The Sumerians were an ancient civilization some 5,000 years ago. Located in southern Iraq. They were the founders of Babylon. The Sumerians have left numerous reports about their life. About how they operated. But one of the most stunning reports They have some pictures of space travelers. They have some pictures in their artwork of UFOs. And they have claims that in their early history, the gods came and lived among them. That these gods ruled over them. 12 primary gods, and then lesser gods. And they have pictures depicting these gods, one with the face of an eagle. One looking like a fish standing up, a fish man. You might be familiar with him. He was called Dagon among the Philistines. The Philistines were the people of the sea these ancient peoples make the astounding claim that these gods actually dwelt among them, they could see them, and they ruled over them. And then a great cataclysmic event occurred in the history of the earth. And the gods disappeared. And now they have made idols shaped to look like their gods, so they would not forget what their gods looked like. If you put those early records together with the early records of Scripture, you find that the Scriptures tell us that God placed a guardian angel at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, so that any time a person desired, they could go to the entrance of the garden and see with their physical eyes an angel of God. It is not too much of a stretch than to say if holy angels could be seen with the eye, then demon angels could also be seen with the eye. So there is a place in Scripture where it tells us that before the flood, many different kinds of things happened, some of which would be shocking if I went into depth about them. Let's simply leave it today that these Sumerians are saying their gods lived among them and ruled over them, and that then something happened in the earth, and the gods had to leave. And so today, we do not see angels, for the most part. We cannot go to the Garden of Eden and observe the guardian angel with his sword. And neither, for the most part, do demon angels materialize. Even though, I will add, that at times, they do. Now, why would I speak about this? Because... We live in a mechanistic culture that has been homogenized and put together in such a way that everything for us is scientific. Everything for us is physical. Everything for us is mechanical. Movies began to come out like RoboCop with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then we began to move into the transformer phase. And now I see kids everywhere playing with transformers. Well, what are they playing with? They're playing with a meld between the mechanical realm and the spiritual realm. And now the video games that kids are playing with and adults are playing with every day, these video games have now recreated these gods, sometimes mechanical and sometimes just purely physical. But they've identified these gods. So we have all of this going on over here in the arena of the media But in our own personal lives, we haven't transitioned to that level yet. We're not in a place where we look at that as reality. We sit and watch a Star Trek, which I don't do anymore. And we see that Star Trek as fantasy, science fiction. But we've maintained this very careful covering around our own personal lives to make sure that we have our own little rituals going and our own ways going and our own means of coping and our own strategies to provide. So we don't need the gods to come down and dwell amongst us. Therefore, our entertainment in the media. So then who are our gods? The reality is we've become our own gods. And we rule over our own destinies. Somehow with the illusion that that's reality. Do you understand today that America is not reality? That what we see is not real? The wealth that you see everywhere and the wealth that you have around you in your life is all on borrowed money? Our lifestyle is financed by China, by Japan. Our lifestyle is not the product of a godly life. It's an illusionary image. And the Lord said he was going to send a great delusion at the end of time. I think we're seeing the great delusion in part. Now, the world today is telling us that the economy is absolutely crashing. The world is telling us that banks are about to close. Of course, not my bank. My bank's not going to close and my job's not going to go away. You know, at some point we're going to have to stop And recognize that either we're going to serve the gods of the Sumerians that are demonic. Or we're going to serve the living God of heaven, the almighty, the king of all the earth. This brief time in history where we have been allowed to live in an illusionary world is about to come crashing to an end. This self importance is what Jesus was trying to get at. And did you notice as he's preaching this, as he's reading the scripture, he stops mid sentence in the scripture? Can I read to you the rest of it? You know, like Paul Harvey? Let's get the rest of the story now. Isaiah 61. Let's begin with verse 2 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't finish that because in Jesus' time, he was not there to proclaim his vengeance, he was there to preach his messiahship. But Jesus has come. And the church now has been called to finish the work of Jesus. And that is to proclaim to the American culture the vengeance of God. When the vengeance of God has been proclaimed, he says, to comfort all who mourn. That's the job of the church. Wait a minute. Why are people going to mourn? They're going to mourn when they recognize their self-importance has to be cast down. And their sin has to be identified. And there has to be a time of reckoning. Now, whether we like it or not, the reckoning is coming financially. Whether we like it or not, the American lifestyle is over. It may not be over for you yet, but it soon will be over for you. I was over at Global Food this last week. The Lord told me, buy rice. I was over buying rice. I've got about 85 pounds of rice put away. Jan said to me, you know, Ray, people aren't going to like the taste of that rice. I said, wait till they haven't eaten for three days. Then they're going to want a bowl of rice. The mission of the body of Christ is to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. It is our job to proclaim the fear of God in such a manner that people begin to mourn over their sin and weep for their sin. Have you mourned over your sin? Or have you been sampling at the National Prayer Chapel? If you have not been mourning over your sin, you're still sampling. And you need to hear the vengeance of God over your life. It's time to repent. That was the first word of Jesus. Repent. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Those who grieve in the presence of Almighty God, who come into the presence of God, who clearly see their condition before God, who hear the vengeance of God, who are afraid, who are terrified, and who say, I can't walk with this disdain for God anymore. I have to walk with dread lest he take me out and there in that place of grieving and mourning he then bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes you know what a person did in the old testament who began to grieve and mourn they sat down in ashes they smeared their face with the tears with the ashes Oh, but I might get my shirt dirty. I might mess up my pretty blouse. You're at Wegmans having a sample of of lemon meringue. There's no hunger in your heart for the holiness of God. You need to hear more vengeance. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Do you know why there's so little joy in the body of Christ? Because there's been so little weeping. There's no sorrow for sin. So we can come in and we can spit and shout, we can dance. But the churches that are doing that today are doing it in the same spirit as the disco. Well, they're putting religious words to it, but they're just dancing and shouting in the flesh. How do I know that? Because there's been no grieving and weeping in the house. Everything has been let's visit Wegmans and have some samples, let's enjoy the show. Now, there has to be a place where we finally stop the show and say, look, I've got to come to terms with how I've lived my life. I've got to come to terms with what I've done to my family. I've got to come to terms with what I'm doing, the almighty Lord God of heaven. I have to stop and say, wait a minute. How long will I walk in this rebellion, and this bitterness of heart and this mechanical world? When am I going to stop the fun and games and be willing to weep over my sin and grieve over what I've done? When a person is finally willing to enter into this grieving and mourning, the Lord does the strangest thing. He comes and pours pours out the oil of gladness on us. He comes and dresses us in robes of righteousness. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This is the mission of the church. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. Oh, I want the city of Washington to be rebuilt. I want it to be restored. That's our job. We can't do that job when we're full of our own self-importance. And then as kings and and lords and rulers, we walk around taking little samples of goodies here and there, enjoying the bounty of life, always unwilling to pull out our billfold and pay for what we're getting. When are you going to do that? That's what we're being called to. To begin to say, Lord, I can't keep this temper anymore. I can't keep these lustful thoughts anymore. I can't continue to fight this way. I can't continue to argue this way. I can't continue to be filled with pride and arrogance. I can't continue to walk this way Lord God, save me. Save me. Did you come hungry today or did you come full? Did you come to sample something that'll sparkle on your tongue? Or did you come to get right with God? Almighty God, ruler of heaven and earth, these are realities that I have no ability to speak into the understanding of my brothers and sisters. Lord, this is a work that only your spirit can do. Lord, I'm asking you to finish that work in my heart and in my brothers and sisters hearts. Lord, I no longer want to be a sampler of righteousness. I don't want to be a sampler of the things of heaven. Lord, I desire that we together would be made oaks of righteousness. With the oil of gladness being poured over our hearts. Lord, we are yours. This church, this national prayer chapel belongs to you. I claim nothing of it. It is yours. Do with us as you desire. We have no one else we even want to turn to. We will not turn back to the gods of the Sumerians. Lord God of heaven, we will belong to you. Do with us now as you wish, Jesus. Jesus. Have your way in this house and break this self-importance. Lord, break this self-righteousness. This fullness on the food of the devil. Lord, we've been feasting at the table of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, fill us with your heart. Change us, transform us, Jesus We are yours. You said your kindness was meant to lead us to repentance. But Jesus, we have used your kindness and abused it. You have shown us mercies upon mercies, kindness upon kindness, even giving us this place for worship. And we have used it because we're so deserving, so self-righteous, so filled with our own importance. Lord, forgive us. Change our hearts, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now you've got a decision to make. You have to decide if what you heard was just a pretty song. And you can leave this house and go live your life. And go sample somewhere else. Or has the Lord God of heaven called you to walk in humbleness before him? And to serve him all the days of your life. Giving up everything that is yours and seeking after his name alone.
3: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. And we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. When I look back on what I thought was living, I am amazed at the price I chose to pay and to think. I ignored what really mattered Cause I thought the sacrifice would be too great When I finally reached the point of giving in I found the cross was calling even then And even though it took dying to survive, I never felt so much alive, for I am crucified with Christ, and yes. cross will never ask for more than I can give, for it's not my strength but His, there's no greater sacrifice. As I hear the Saviour call for daily dying, I will bow beneath the weight of Calvary. Let my hand surrender to His piercing purpose, that holds me to the cross, yet sets me free. I will glory in the power of the cross. The things I thought were gain I count as loss, and with His suffering I identify, and by His resurrection. Burn, Cross will never ask for more than I can give. For it's not my strength but his. There's no greater sacrifice. Not in vain, for I found to live is Christ, and to die is truly gain, for I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live, not I but Christ that lives within me, his cross will Oh,